Welcome to On The Verge. This podcast will highlight interviews from entrepreneurs, musicians, and professional golfers. It will center around what tools they have used to help them reach their dreams, how they use golf to further their career, whether it be for escape from the rigors of their profession or to build more business, and how the communitas of wine, music, and golf enrich their lives. This is all about the enjoyment of life, rising above the struggles, and stretching past the best to be better every day. On The Verge. On The Verge is presented by Cure, cannabis used for research and education. The medical industry is steadfastly looking to help millions of patients that suffer from injuries related to repetitive motion, sports, trauma, and many other orthopedic injuries, as well as skin disorders, mental disorders, cancer, and osteoporosis, to name only a few of the other underlying conditions that billions suffer from each day. On average in this country, we have 10,000 people turning 65 every day. With the cost of pharmaceutical medicines increasing, patients deserve natural alternatives that are not only more cost-effective, but also safer for them and society. Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing a therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you. Or check out their website at www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. Welcome to On The Verge. Today's special guest is a serial entrepreneur and the only person that I've ever done an interview with that hits it longer than me. Joining me today, Nathaniel Beaver. Beaver, how are you, buddy? Uh, thanks for having me in these fun times. No doubt. Well, I'm, I'm. One of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on is that this show is not just about golf, but it's about entrepreneurs and the mindset of an entrepreneur and what it is that you've you're doing to stand apart. And one of the things that impresses me so much is that you've kind of dominated in multiple markets starting in the restaurant business, but now you've kind of veered off into hospitality and, and real estate management. Talk to us about, was this a planned event or did it, it was just like a domino effect? You started one thing and led to another and led to another. It's interesting because I always see people presenting business ideas for me and things that we want to do. And they say, I've got a great business plan. And you're talking to someone that's never written a business plan. <laughs> so that's always interesting. Um, if you kind of go back to how I started in this world of hospitality, mm-hmm. was with Whitfield's Restaurant in Bell Mead. And it's one of those most interesting things about everything I'm doing would never be something I would have told you. Um, if you're familiar with what Whitfield's was, was we were a piano bar, yeah. definitely older skewed driven. And, you know, it was a place for your, I mean, our average age was 50 to 65, come and hanging, dancing by the piano. I was a 26-year-old that opened this restaurant. Yeah. And so at 26 years old, if you said, my goal is to open a piano bar where 50 to 65-year-olds can meet single people, it's not really your <laughs> where you would have thought. But when we got into the opening the restaurant and seeing what was needed and where the demand was, that's what it led to. Mm-hmm. And then the even funnier thing is to look at where my hospitality company has gone. It started off as a restaurant company and has turned to hospitality mm-hmm. is having, you know, the two of the premier event spaces, the bridge building and the bell tower. And now currently my company does more weddings than anybody in the state of Tennessee um, in, a, in an annual year mm-hmm. um, 
when we're allowed to, obviously. Yeah. And so what's unique about that is if you had told me, too, that I was going to be the wedding king of Tennessee, that would have been the last thought I would have thought is <laughs> me being your wedding advisor. But I think with all business, it's listening to the market and really just finding out where the money is. I mean, yeah. you don't know. I think people that open things with the, I'm very proud of this concept or I, I'm very behind this, I think that works great for mission-driven businesses. Mm-hmm. I do not think it works well for business in general because if you already know where you want to go, then you're not listening to what the market's saying and what people are saying. And that's where my company's gone. I mean, it's we're a full – Infinity Hospitality has a production division, catering divisions, venues, rentals, event planning, a little bit of everything. Wow. And so if you said, I want to start this business – you couldn't. It, it has to organically grow, and you have to be buying these things over time. Because mm-hmm. if you had enough money to do it, why would you ever put that amount of money into a wedding business? But when <laughs> it grows so organically and you're starting these departments, because you know when we started our hospitality company, we started with the Bridge Building. Mm-hmm. It's the iconic building you see in every shot of Nashville, the white building next to the bridge. You can't turn on the new. You can't turn on the TV in 24 hours in Nashville and not see it. Hmm. And it's this amazing building. When we started off, it was just all we had was a catering company, and we sold the venue, and then we just outsourced everything. Yeah. But over time, you start going, well, if I'm paying someone else to do it, why don't I do it? If I'm paying someone else, why don't I do it? And then it's grown into this great business. And then as that building filled up, we opened the Bell Tower, which was our historic church over on 4th Avenue. It's a 106-year-old church. Yeah. And so I think with all business and, and the way I look at everything, because I veered off into a lot of different things from property management, software, um, and then I've gotten, I like doing a lot of real estate items and, mm-hmm. and management of those. And all of it's been opportunity and just looking and saying, does it make sense number wise? Yeah. I think one of the things that you, while you're uh, aggressively going about this, and that's one of the things I want to get into is that you have a, much like you play golf, you're, you're learning to play conservatively when you need to, but you know what your strengths are. And much like what's going on right now in the world with the coronavirus and how that's shut down that part of your business, because you're diversified, you're not destroyed. You, you got a variety of things. And that's the thing that I'm wondering if like at first you thought about diversifying just in case this day or you diversified just because of the opportunities that came about and now you're on the fortuitous side of being Diversify. There was an active thought when I was in restaurants only to diversify. That's when we started into the catering hospitality. Mm. The the properties and business came up with kind of how everyone, I think, initially gets into business. We rented one little office in a building, and as we grew, we needed two offices, and we needed three. Then it made more sense to buy the building. Then we outgrew the building, so we bought a different building. It, it kind of came from growth. Yeah. And then once we got into it, we started seeing ways to grow. And, I mean, right now we're sitting in my brand new office that we bought two months before COVID. Yeah. But um, we're getting ready to move in here, but it's going to be a year push back. Yeah. But it's been more that opportunity and watching it grow. I, it's interesting how you bring up the golf game versus my business game, and they are so similar. Yeah. Really big on the big play, the long game. We'll go with anybody. Short game, not as much my, <laughs> my forte. Yeah. And when I would equate the short game in my business to the day-to-day, yeah. I hire great people and have great staff that really – it's very hard to be globally above multiple businesses and operate without that great crew mm. to handle the day to day. And I know, I mean, if I had to sit there and plan your wedding, 
well, you're in trouble. Like I, I'm, I'm not that focused, <laughs> but I've got great people that handle that, and I'm great at setting up the systems that oversee all that mm. to make sure we can do the amount of events we do, and everyone's unique and yeah. different and special. I thought it was funny. One of the first times I taught you, you walked in, and you're like, I don't know if you know this about me, Virgil, but I'm the king of flowers. I know more about flowers than anybody you're going to teach. And I'm like, why is that? And he goes, dude, I do more weddings than anybody. I'm like, I never, I only thought that you were in the restaurant and catering world. And then I, yeah, then I, after getting to know you, like you got your, you got your fingers in a ton of stuff. Would you say that the, the wedding piece is that, was that something that surprised you and how, how strong that business is compared to what, you know, maybe what you intended it to I be? I would say the, and we're about 50-50 corporate and wedding now. Mm. So we're we're located downtown convention, Nashville. Now, again, the corporate business in the next 18 months is going to be almost zero. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just – no one's doing corporate business and travel and events. And so I'm going to be much heavier wedding um, for the next 18 months. And then we expect the corporate to come back. But I do a lot of big corporate installations, lots of big award shows, parties. We're in the industry. Yeah. So um, with that there – what I the difference between the two businesses and and how they work is that restaurants you're only as good as your next meal. Restaurants right now and if I still ha- I sold my or sold slash closed my last restaurant in November and best thing that ever happened to me timing wise yeah. because with a restaurant you're always living off the next meal. You're not cash heavy. You don't take deposits. I mean it'd be great if I could open a restaurant and say do you want to come eat here? I need a deposit. If you don't show up, I'm keeping it. Um, with the event world, the deposits are great because you're able to sustain your business and you can see what's coming. So it makes hiring easier. It makes mm-hmm. forecasting better. And it also allows me to purchase so I can buy a lot of inventory that people need. Cause I know I have the events coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it really is more of a secure model mm-hmm. from this. I mean, I would uh, not as secure as it felt two and a half months, months ago, ago, but, <laughs> but it, it's much more secure. Um, but, it is also much more pressure, and I mean, we plan the biggest day. Sixty uh, percent of all the events we do, whether it's corporate or, or wedding, it's the biggest day of their life. It'll be the most money anyone's ever spent on a day. Mm-hmm. It will be the biggest thing they ever do, and that we don't do that lightly. It's not like oh, it's just a business and we check it off and all that. Mm-hmm. We we care. I mean, it really is a lot important, and it just all the mutual friends we have and then all our friends that we play golf with. I mean, I've done their daughter's son's weddings. I've done some of their weddings. I've done a lot of the, I've done a ton of their corporate parties, Christmas parties, sure. get togethers. And so it's one thing when you're doing it for everyone, but also your friends, you take a lot of pride in that they chose to do it with you mm-hmm. and put faith to do it in you. Sure. When, when you think about the, where we are right now in the COVID situation, Two and a half months ago, Nashville was probably the hottest place in the in the country yep. for growth. And I know that they say that it's in the top ten, but I mean, I don't know how anything could be more smoldering hot than Nashville is was. I mean, I just don't really expect it to slow down. They just have to get move past this particular moment. Obviously, that's fortuitous. But what was the what has the frenzy been like? in the industry, both in the real estate side of it and this, uh, and, you know, the, the hospitality side of it in the growth model of Nashville, Tennessee. There are two different, two completely different tracks. So from hospitality, you have endless new competition coming in, mm-hmm. but very little unique. 
So in other words, we just built 4,000 hotel rooms. You got all these hotels popping up. They all have conference space, meeting space, all that. They can build 100 hotels. They're not going to build a 160-year-old historic church that was designed as an event space. Mm-hmm. They're not going to redo the bridge building, which is you can't – the picture, if you say Nashville, Tennessee, people go, oh, yeah, looking over the river with the ghost ballet back at the skyline. That's what everyone would remember. That's from our roof. Yeah. <laughs> We're the only building that will ever be on that city side because of the way everything works with the Titans and where the stadium is. Yeah. So that is a little different. It's a little bit more fixed. Now, the real estate side – it's how fast can you hear a deal? What can you get in? Can you get in there quicker? Everyone's outbidding. And we're dealing with so much, or we were dealing, I, I think it's obviously going to slow down a lot, but we're dealing with so much outside of Nashville money. You don't have outside of Nashville money coming in to do unique event companies. Like it just, like I, we mm. got to, it doesn't make financial sense. Mm. So real estate's a lot harder. I mean, we're, we're sitting on a street that, you know, the first building I bought versus the last building I bought, I mean, you're talking in five years, five times multiple of what it would have cost versus what it costs now. Wow. And so you're crazy money. Yeah. And it's it's very different. But now it's the opposite. Now it's needle in a haystack for what I do. I like the the buildings, the ten to thirty thousand square feet, stuff where you can have good solid tenants and, mm-hmm. and, and things move. Those are so much harder to find now. I mean, most buildings that are being purchased in that size now are are for use. Yeah. And so it's a little bit more difficult. Um, but, you know, it, it's Nashville is still as big as we've gotten. It's still very much a connection game. Yeah. I mean, it, the, a way to equate restaurants versus event spaces, uh, small little restaurants, like the restaurants I had, the one in uh, Whitfields or uh, one of my older Italian restaurants, Bria, that mm-hmm. we sold. Those restaurants, we had to have forty to 50,000 people a year choose to have dinner with us to break even. Wow. That's a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking <laughs> – You and if you have one bad meal, you may lose them. The average person eats at the same three restaurants is kind of their bubble, and then they venture out. Interesting. Especially in neighborhood restaurants like we had. Mm-hmm. So you serve a bad meal. You don't lose them once. You lose them on average 10 to 12 times a year, so then you got to go find new. For events, we did 416 events last year, which is full-scale production, everything. Mm-hmm. When you do 416 – it is very hard and I need a lot more labor, but we only had to have 416 people choose to have an event with us. Yeah. And so, and the break even is a lot less than that. So when you start talking about the sales model and how it works and where it goes, restaurants, you don't ever sleep. You constantly worry. And I think you may have heard this joke before. You constantly worry about how much the person drank that's working for you the night before and what kind of service they're going to give or what kind of food they're going to prepare. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of time, are they going to show up? Yeah, And we don't worry about that as much in the event world. That's not a concern. Mm-hmm. It's much more different model. And it's, uh, and the other thing with the restaurants is every single person, especially in the day of reviews, Yelp, everyone's a critic. Everyone knows everything about restaurants, what it should be, how it should be, what this is. It's not as much that way with events. It's about creating something custom and unique that people haven't seen. Yeah, And so it, it's a different approach. When, you, when you're thinking about the property management piece Mm -hmm. for you obviously that's a that's a pretty safe model too yeah how did you when did you decide to maybe do the the management side of it versus the investment side of it or what what have you same idea we got enough buildings that now the management makes sense it this happened kind of a little more organically in that we started an airbnb management company called Mm -hmm. music city vacation homes where 
same idea. Uh, me and another friend bought a house that we were going to start using. We Airbnb. We were self-managing. We started managing a couple more. And then next thing you know, we're managing 30 units. And then it's growing as we speak. And it's every that now is transitioned into long term because Airbnbs are going to be down for a while. Yeah. Um, but partnering with another great real estate agent in town and coming up with a property management company called WH Property Management, where we now have a maintenance company, we have an Airbnb and a long term. So you have a house that you want to rent. We can go and look and say, what is a better model for you? Mm. And now, in the last five weeks, that model's adapting. We're taking all of our Airbnbs trying to do long-term for the next 12 months so we can make sure the owners have revenue yeah. but not throw out the Airbnb so when it comes back, yeah. they can go to the higher revenue. Are well, you looking at six months at a time, one year? What's your, what's your take Everyone, on? Anyone that can tell you how long it's going to be right now and this is how I'm setting up my business is got no clue. I mean, <laughs> that's the last person you need to give money to. So for us, we are looking at it in a we have a lot of multi units where it's like six units 16 units mm -hmm. let's do half long term half airbnb test the market here for the next three to six months and find out mm. more likely than not in terms of nashville and talk about how hot nashville is mm. we were hot but we were built on big gatherings that's what nashville's built on yes you do have we do a lot of bachelorette parties and a lot of that coming in but there's no bars so they're not coming in uh, you're not gonna have. You're not gonna see it this year. Mm -hmm. um, conventions are all canceled through July, but most likely they're all gonna be canceled through the year. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of our corporate business came from people coming to town. Mm -hmm. So I, I think just for our model and what I'm preparing, I'm preparing for May first of next year. Of if I, my whole plan is that if I have no business between now and the end of April, how do we make sure May one of next year one that we're not starting a new company that I've got my staff. I'm trying to retain my staff. I'm mm -hmm. trying to make sure we can keep them moving forward. But I've worked really hard to build this company over the last 15 years. I do not want to start over with a new company 15 years because we let everyone go. Now we've got to retrain everybody. We've got to start over. Mm -hmm. It just it doesn't make sense for us financially. It makes more sense to try to keep everybody here. And also, like I said, we've got such a great team. Mm -hmm. It'd be terrible to lose all these people that now know everything they know all of nashville they know what they're doing so it's timeline i'm preparing for may one at kind of the chance for things to start coming back it does not mean we're not going to do weddings mm -hmm. it doesn't mean we're not going to do events they're just going to be smaller mm -hmm. they're going to be a little more intimate and they're we got to wait till the guidance comes out yeah. as to how that'll work yeah, that's it. How, is it? Would you know what phase you're in because there's there's four phases right there's four phases but Hopefully, if everything goes right, first phase starts on the ninth. But for event world, until we get to at least the third phase, we're mm. pretty irrelevant. Is that right? Okay. So, and even at that third phase, as an owner of a company, you've got to take what you feel is right, not versus what they tell you is right. Um, and point blank, everyone else is going to open up well before us. So they're going to end up being the guinea pigs. I mean, if things get really bad and go the wrong way, then all of our, if the phases are all going to reset. They're going to put us back on social, extreme social stay at home and all yeah. that. So, and the biggest cost that companies are going to have is the reopening cost. I don't care if you keep everyone, you still have to bring a lot of inventory in. You still got to get ready. And so, if you re, get ready to reopen and then you close again, they get ready to reopen. Uh, most businesses can't afford that, especially restaurants. Yeah. But from a hospitality side, you got to kind of time it right. We're blessed that 
it's weird to say we're blessed that we can open, but we're blessed in that we were not going to have to open day one to do it. Yeah. Um, also, most of our events book a year out. We're still booking weddings for next year. I mean, we're booking a lot of weddings right now yeah. for following next year. A lot of people are moving everything, so there's a lot of venue changes and so forth. Are you have any chance to forecast with experts maybe around the country on, you know, when this whole thing dies down, and it might take a year, there are going to be so many people looking to do something that, like, the people are, I can already tell, people are absolutely dying to just go to the beach or just get away because the stress is you can cut it with a chainsaw it's pretty palpable yeah. obviously have you done any forecasting you've been around some experts on like the insanity that's going to ensue is the floodgates when it's free it's all speculation right now and and part of my issue right now is trying to analyze the businesses i mean we're right now just playing to analyze the ppp loans and sba loans and and there's still no complete guidance as to how all that's going to work mm-hmm. and as Owners of company and presidents and CEOs of company, we're trying to make decisions right now about people's lives, whether they're employed, whether their wedding is going to take place, what we're going to do, how we're trying to make special exceptions to make sure people don't lose funds Mm -hmm. and can still apply it while also still honoring our contracts with us. And it's basically trying to do math when you don't know what two plus two equals. It's like you think two plus two is going to be four. Tomorrow we may tell you it's five, but if you hire and you go with four, you're going to lose a lot of money because you should have known it was five. Mm-hmm. That's basically where we're at right now. Got it. And so every day I'm sitting here analyzing numbers based off the current speculation as to what will be forgiven on a loan or what happens if we do go till May, what happens if it goes till next October, and constantly going, how much cash do I have? What can we run? What's the balance and everything? And to be honest, it, I mean, it drives you about crazy. Yeah. I mean, I love being analytical. I love being able to look at the numbers. And I like being able to make decisions that make sense. Mm-hmm. And like every business, I've definitely got it wrong before, and I've got it right before. Right now, I have no confidence in anything, but I've now, I'm finding a place of comfort in the fact that I need to stop analyzing now and not talk to experts, not talk to anybody for at least a month. Yeah. We need to wait till we have a much more clarification and people have opened up and we've seen what's going to happen. I mean, the idea, if I told you today that your wedding is going to involve a lot of hand sanitizer stations, all the staff's going to wear rubber gloves and masks. <laughs> Maybe your efficient that's marrying you is going to do that. Um, and this is what it's going to be. And your food service where we did a lot of interactive stations and mm-hmm. buffets and fun food displays. We don't know that that food service is even going to be allowed in the next 18 months. So everything may go to plated dinners Uh, where we can control the food. So it changes everything. I had our event team send me a list of everything that would change in a wedding. And I was like, I'm going to get like nine or ten things. I got 45 things in a wedding. Everything from how guests enter and leave to everything. And every single detail that we just take for granted that we do that we now have to change. Mm -hmm. The other thing on the employer side there is a insurance liability thing of how do we protect our staff? How do we make sure it's done right? Then there's the, these are people we care about. We've got to balance what they're telling us versus what we want to do for them. The worst thing that can happen is half your staff ends up with coronavirus. Yeah, that'd be a bad situation. It is. So we're balancing all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I say balancing it in that we are waiting for more hard information. I mean, you think about like the one thing that they haven't even gotten to without going down the soapbox of coronavirus, which Mm -hmm. can be a big soapbox these days, 
is that we don't yet know that you get antibodies if you had coronavirus yet. I mean, they're, they think, hopefully. Yeah. But they don't know every yet. day you read an article that says maybe yes, maybe no. That can be the end-all, be-all. I mean, I talked to our, we'd love to hire people that have the antibodies because that helps. But if people don't have that antibody, if they've had it, then what are we doing? That's like, right. So these are all the things. I mean, I never thought like I'd be a scientist and a business owner, mm-hmm. but you have to be reading. You have to be learning, but also take everything with a grain of salt because right now nobody knows. Yeah, it's like it's this bizarre position of the new, the old normal was destroyed and blown up, and the new normal is not yet set in stone, so we're just kind of drifting along in the in yeah. the ocean just hoping and, for good weather. And, and, well, basically, if we put it in golf world, we, did, we do a big trip every year with a bunch of guys you first started teaching with that I've done forever <laughs> that, yep. I mean, and this is, we've done it, this will be our 10th year, and we ended up, our trip was canceled, so now we're going to do it in Nashville this year. But we did Kiowa last year yeah. and played the ocean course. And all I'd ever heard was the ocean course is the absolute hardest golf course depending on if you get the wind. And it'd be like playing the ocean course with a 60-mile-an-hour wind, and it changes directions every 10 seconds. You're over the ball, and you never know which way it's going to go. <laughs> and, and it's completely di- – and if you've ever played Kiowa or the ocean course, if it, changed, if it changes 10 miles in a different direction – you're totally in a different place. Oh, my gosh. We're talking 50 mile an hour in a completely different direction from the time you pull your club to you get over the ball. And then try not to get mentally locked there and make a golf swing. That's business right now. Yeah, so true. And what a so great analogy. We're trying to, trying to figure that out, and all the punch shots I got in the world aren't going to help with that. So. <laughs> no kidding. Well, that, that perfect segue for me. So I spent a lot of time talking to kids saying that the worst possible outcome for your golf is that you'll play a very high quality game and be able to use it for business that it could be the deal maker for you. And you might end up making more money doing business at golf than you would if you'd played on TV. So you had a chance to, you played high school golf with Brant and there was a lot of other good players, uh, Noble Judy and, and Wallace and yourself were, you had a really good team. And you were actually were on my side of the professional fence for a short window of time coming out. And then you got in, then you started doing this. How important or impactful has the game of golf been for you to grow your business and see where it's gone? Without golf and the connections there, I would never be where I am now. Um, you know, it's I always joke that I'd never have a friend earlier in the year during stroke play, but once it gets a scramble season, I'm everybody's I'm on the speed <laughs> dial. It's the advantage of being able to hit the ball far, but not knowing where it's going to go all the time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I play in a million scrambles. I do a lot of the member guests and all that, but the connections I've made through golf over the years have been amazing. And it's not just always on the golf course or the connection. The thing with all golfers and what we all do and the thing that all our wives make fun of us for is we'll sit there on a text chain with 20 guys on a Friday night making fun of some golf shot that they filmed some guy hitting out of a creek the day before and go on and on. And, I mean, my wife always jokes, so what are the girls talking about today? And as my groups grow in different groups, I got more groups of girls, I guess it is. But but it's that bond. It's that common thing of you're always around. Mm-hmm. And in business, it's not – it's not the grand idea. It's not the great business proposal. It's top of mind. It's, oh, I played golf with him. Or, oh, I, was, I talked to him the other day. I've got an event coming up. I'll call him. Yeah. Hey, and I used to joke, the difference between someone that wants to be a business owner and someone that wants to work is when I, when I was in the restaurant business, I had a rule. It's like if I ran into you somewhere, if I go and talk to you, I could almost bet within two weeks you'd be in my restaurant eating dinner. 
So you know you're a business owner when you're at the grocery store. It's 10 o'clock at night. You're buying formula. Babies are screaming. You've worked six straight days, 12 hours, and you're exhausted. And you see somebody that you're just not in the mood to talk. But you know that if you go say hello and just, hey, how you doing? Two minutes. You're going to see them in the restaurant. Yeah. And it really is that. So for me, golf has always been that. It's that exposure. It's that common bond. And then the other big thing with it, too, has just been the friendships yeah. and how that those friendships have helped foster business. Um, one of our best friends, Jonathan Fulks, yeah. who, you know, we've I've played golf with my whole life. Our friendship now, we started our property management company, and it just all timing worked out. And he's now running our property management company and Airbnbs and everything. Mm-hmm. And he moved back to Nashville to do that. Yeah. There is no doubt without our golfing connection over the years with us being in different States and cities and getting together that that would have been possible for business. Yeah. It's one of the greatest interview spots, you know, because you're playing golf with all these, these great people and friends and really it's camaraderie and friendship. But at the end of the day, it's, Hours and hours and hours of free interviews. Mm-hmm. You get a chance to see how people work. Really, what you're always looking for. Everything, everybody's pretty good when everything's going great. How are they reacting when it's not going great? And that's a really important thing, especially in the market that you're in, both in the property and in the hospitalities. Man, those things can, they can flip you. Like you're going along, everything's going great, and all of a sudden something bad happens. How well can you adapt? How well do you handle yourself when you're five under par with four to play in and bogey, 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 bogey in? And how did you compose yourself at the end? And it's very similar to basically what you could be seeing right now, which is everything was roses three months ago. And now people are getting kicked in the teeth and you get a chance to see how people handle adversity. What are some of the keys for you when it comes to One, for yourself handling adversity, but two, what are some of the important traits that you're looking for to bring into your business for adversity pieces? If we kind of tie in the golf part with that, I I would think back about how I played golf when I was younger and how you get older. And you see this in a lot of, I'll say, high school golfers or junior golfers. Mm -hmm. It's that just the temper that'll come out, the, the... I won't necessarily say club throw, but just you can see the next shot was so impacted by the last one, which Mm -hmm. was me in a nutshell. If I ever got it going, it was fun. But, I I mean, one or two bad shots, and it just got so down. And then, you know, next thing you know, you you start off three under, and then you got the yips, and you end up doing nothing. I mean, and learning in business that, too, when I was younger – if someone did something wrong, if somebody wasn't making sense, making tough moves, my my patience was so bad mm-hmm. with them. Like I just didn't understand how do you not understand this? What's wrong? And it made me react in a way that's not what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't get the result you wanted, is what I say. Um, I, I have a big saying when you're talking to them, it's not a matter of justifying what's right or wrong. It's a matter of understanding the other side and speaking to get the result that you want. Mm-hmm. Not in an insincere way, but in a way that you're you're truly understanding the other perspective. You take that to the golf course and do the same thing there. You can't sit here and go, I'm a tour pro. I'm, I'm 200 yards out. I should hit the green every time. Do I feel like I want to hit the green every time? Yes. The best players in the world don't hit the green. I mean, percentage is low yeah, on that. That's right. And so you're sitting here and you're feeling that. Why in the world would I go to a golf course as a junior golfer, sitting there at 200 yards, getting upset that I'm 30 feet left of the green? But I would be, I'd be really, I'd be like, what happened? How did that happen? Mm-hmm. 
So eventually finding that inner peace, I'll call it, or that mindset. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I lose it still. I mean, you still, it bothers you. There's still things that are still going to get to you. Mm -hmm. Sure. But it doesn't make or break your day. And I think as you get older, you naturally have more things, children, family, everything gets a little bit more in perspective. Mm -hmm. But it's still learning that balance. And I think you need to do that in life and business and everything. Like if we go through the businesses we've had, and, and I've set down all my staff when this COVID hit, and I said, listen, I've been through everything. I can deal with this. And I know they're sitting there like, this is a pandemic. You you just got your doors shut. What do you mean you've been through it? We burned our restaurant down on New Year's Eve. We were one of seven or eight businesses that got demolished in the flood almost 10 years ago to the date. Yeah, Whitfield was three feet, six inches underwater. We rebuilt the whole place. We're open in 30 days and right back at it. Yep. And so, and that was the only thing I had. I lost all my income business in that. And so you walk in, you go, I have no business today instantly because of mother nature. We've done this and it didn't happen by the, Oh my God, I can't, what did I do? I can't believe I shot 85 today. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's really one of those, you just learn to go step by step and go, this is what I'm doing. I will knock this off first. Okay. Okay. I'm 30 feet left of the green. I'm just going to make sure I get it on. Yep. I can't get it close. Okay. Get it 15 feet. Make sure you make bogey instead of that. Same idea with business. Yeah. And I think right now we're in the make bogey phase. Yeah. Um, we may be in the don't get disqualified and run out of golf ball phase here pretty shortly, but, <laughs> but, but we're, we're working our way through it. Yeah. Right now you're just trying not to make double. Mm-hmm. How can I just make make a bogey don't make double because it's hard to it's hard to make two birdies to make up for it correct i don't want i'd like to be there on the weekend yeah would be it i mean right now being there on the weekend getting a little money would be better than going for broke or doing something bigger or drastically walking off the course which is yeah. what i think a lot of people not by their own choice are being forced to do yeah, that's right so true one of the things that I, I wanted you to talk about is you have this and it's something that i have as well but i want to see how you've harnessed it is that you have a very hard time keeping your attention on some things. And then if there's that one thing that grabs a hold of you, nobody can take your attention off of it. Like you have hyper-focus. And that is a problem that I see a lot of kids today have. Talk to us about how you learned how to handle because I think it all starts in school when you're sitting in classes that don't seem to resonate with you. Like, why do I have to learn this? And it's so hard to stay focused. And then you get in a situation where you can tell that if you understand this, this could be a massive game-breaking thing for you. And people could be talking to you, and you don't even hear them. You're so locked in. When did you learn how to harness that, and what are your keys to navigating those difficult moments in your mind where you can't stay focused to all of a sudden get into that place where you're hyper-focused? The first thing and something we just started in our company in the last year is you got to understand yourself. Mm-hmm. You got, I mean, we've gotten really big into the disc profiles, meeting with business coaches and understanding it because I had a problem in my company. I wanted everyone to be like me. Let me tell you how I do it. Let me tell you how I do it. Well, there's a reason why I do what I do. And if everyone did it like I did, we would fall apart in a second. And so I think one of the keys is to understand what your strengths or weaknesses are, realize what your problems are. Mm-hmm. And then how do you hit your weak spots? It's no different than what we do in lessons. We come in, we go, okay, I played last week. This was really good. This was, good. This was horrible. And so how are we going to approach that? Yeah. 
and, and do it. So I think you do the same thing from that, from focus. One of the, I would say one of my bigger strengths, and the reason why I think I'm good at multitasking is every day in my head is a continual reorganization and shuffling of priority. And so if I woke up today going, my number one priority is to do X, and then my inbox gets flooded with three other things, I've got to be able to reshuffle all day in terms of what I want to do. If it's someone that just, if you're more of a task-driven person, I got to check off the task, check off the task, and you're not as prioritizing, that can cause you a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So I think what I've seen is understanding yourself as the first. Um, and then I think everyone naturally kind of, you know what you're naturally good at. Or, and good sometimes gets misplaced for comfortable at. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of those things that I've seen as we started working on the golf swing because – People know, I mean, I played golf my life, but I never took a lesson until we started last year. Yeah. And it's always been, how do I, I just play my own way. And if we had asked me at any time, what's your number one strength on a golf course? I would have said driving the golf ball all day long. It's driving the golf ball. And once we got into lessons, we said, what's, when you're technically trying to get more sound and repeating, what's the most untechnical, worst part of my golf game? My driver swing. <laughs> yeah. It was terrible. I mean, it worked, mm -hmm. but the miss was so bad because – when the timing wasn't there. That's right. And I think we realize that too, that if you had said, what is your biggest strength and weakness? It's the living room, the meeting board, being in front of someone and talking and figuring it out. Mm -hmm. But then as I started looking at what I do well and what I don't, turns out technically that was one of my biggest weaknesses because when you always think you know what you want to say and want to do, Turns out, as my wife always tells me before I go into a meeting, she always says, now stop interrupting people. And I was like, the meeting hadn't even started. And she's like, <laughs> she's like but you're going to take over that meeting and you're going to get too, too strong because I get that way. Mm -hmm. And so now the hardest part for me is, and, and what I'm, I'm focused on is stop, breathe, and listen. And listen to what someone's saying before you respond. Even if you already know what they're going to say, why they're going to say it, and how you're going to respond, mm -hmm. if you cut them off in the middle, you're not hearing them. That's right. And I'm terrible at it. I freely admit. It's, you know, it's something that I work on, yeah. but I will always be working on that my whole life. And so I apply that golf game wise and business wise. What do I need to, it's not enough that the result is where you want. Mm -hmm. It's enough of, can you repeat that result based on what you're doing? Yeah. And that's a, that's a very hard pill to swallow when you've done something a long time. <laughs> When you've hit a golf ball the same way 20 years and then you decide you want to rebuild, when you've done business a certain way, which we've all done, and our whole world, I don't care what you're doing, your business is going to be changed based on what's going on in the world right now, maybe forever. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe mm -hmm. 18 months we forget about this. Sure. But more likely than not, it's going to change. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting you say that because, me, I, I, mean, I worked with Jim McLean some when I was the one I thought that I could play and he, he was, he was one of the best teachers in the world. And now I look back on like the changes that he told me that I would need to make in 1998, 99. And now it's 2020 and I'm still chipping away at the, the, the obvious pieces. And I think that one of the, I would always be trying to pass on to people that, that are living life and and why golf and life kind of go hand in hand is that what your strengths are will probably always be your strengths and what your weaknesses are will probably always be your weaknesses. And you're trying to balance the time in your life to keep your strength strong, but make your weaknesses 
not necessarily, we're not naive enough to think that we're going to make our weaknesses strengths, but we're going to bring them into the middle. I'm pretty good at that. If I'm, if I'm apt to do something, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll do this or that, but I'm, you're moving everything toward a better place so that the bell curve gets tighter. And that is, look, when I think about your, your analogy of golf lessons, you know, the good news is, is that it was a change that you wanted to make or at least wanted to see how good can I really get? Because I'm tired of having people tell me, Beeb, if you could do, if you got this and this and this, you could be awesome. And you're like, how many more times am I going to hear that before I do something with it? And obviously you have a ton of gifts and a ton of talent. So it was really just more like the first thing you needed to understand was, I'm really, really good, but when I get off, it's X. Where is that? And then I, I we we went into it, and there was obviously some lateral motion, and the club face was significantly closed, causing you to have to do emergency rescue missions at 130 miles per hour, which is significantly harder than the average golf swing to to cope with. That is something that is that you deserve a lot of credit for because it's a scary place when you're already really good. And all of a sudden, I, I take away 15 yards so that you can find a much more percentage of your shots. And I would say, of all the people that I've coached that aren't juniors, how far you've come as an adult learning the game, it's top 10 of all time for me. And how far your game has progressed and your willingness to be coached while already being very good and knowing exactly what you want, that is not necessarily easy on my side of the street but you've been it's been great and I love the trajectory that your game is on too and it's just funny how business and and golf they kind of go they just go hand in hand all the way through they do and and the interesting part too is that when I think about like last year when we started you know I mean if you want to put the scoring and handicap in there kind of you know I mean I came in taking lessons around a one Mm -hmm. And then I got up to about four and a half while we were doing it. And then by the time I did a big trip to Scotland last year, and we did two big trips with two big groups of guys and, you know, all the tournaments and all that. And mm. both of them turned it out that I ended up winning both of them for our tournaments. And I was so excited because it started clicking. And then the world got a little crazy for me business-wise towards the end of the year. And so we kind of had to not start over, but add tools and more perfect it this year. Yeah. And now we're back to where we were last year in that – on the practice range, I've always said, <laughs> I'm a Tennessee guy. We Tennessee football, went to school there. Mm-hmm. And for those that are Tennessee football fans, we always talked about Jonathan Crompton was like the quarterback that was going to be our saving. He was the next Heath Shuler. He was coming from North Carolina. And he was what they called the uh, the practice killer. Because in practice, no one could ever beat him out of the job. But in the game, he can never be good enough for us to win. <laughs> and it was this like horrible thing that the coaches never knew what to do because no one could beat him in practice. I feel like Jonathan Crompton right now, when we get on the range and practice, it feels so great. And then when it's on the game now, I'm not scoring for anything right now. I mean, it was it's hard. Yeah. Because And I know where we're trying to get. And the hard part is to sit there and to go, I'm going to keep trying the same swing that is not working today because I know that's where I want to get to. Mm-hmm. And I got to deal with the fact that when I want to be shooting 72 to 75, I'm going to be shooting 82 to 85 right now because that's what it is. And we're there right now and mm-hmm. it's painful um, and expensive <laughs> and a lot of golf balls going different places and mm-hmm. everything. But I know I saw the trajectory last year when it happened and I know that we're going to get there and be in an even better spot than we were last year because yeah. it is feeling better. Um Changing your mind mentally to sit there and repeat something on a range 
versus changing your mind mentally to do it live on the spot when, you know, ball's a little above your feet and the yeah. wind's come a little different direction and mm-hmm. you have to get those old mental things out. Business is the exact same way. Absolutely. We just talked about my weaknesses. Like I can sit here, I know what they are. I can tell you this is what I got to do. I'm going to walk into a business meeting here in a minute. And I'm going to take over the conversation. I'm going to go, <laughs> oh, hold it. No, this is live now. You got to, you got to perform. Uh, so and true. so I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because I would say last week, even our trajectory, last week I thought was probably the best couple of less. I mean, it was like, oh, oh. man, the swing looked so good. The numbers were all – it was everything I always wanted. Yeah. And it was – I played two of the worst rounds of golf I've ever played the last two weekends. And it wasn't every shot was bad. Just scoring was bad. And, and you got, I go – I always go back to the rounds and go, okay, were you missing every ball or were you missing every other ball and the one you missed was so bad that it caused a score? And that's what it was. Yeah. Um, but it, it's – Kind of that constantly looking back and then being ready to go in and practice it and, and see where it goes. So true. Um, but the other thing, too, is it's not make or breaking my existence. Mm-hmm. Where before it would. And for people that play as much golf as I do, it could very much make or break your existence. Yeah. It used to be if I had had the rounds I had this weekend, I mean, it wouldn't have been fun. This I wouldn't have even wanted to be around my kids this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like, man, what I got to go fix this. I got to go figure out what's going on. Instead of just going, you know what? I'm not going to play on Sunday. I'm going to catch my breath. We'll come back and fresh start this week. Yeah. Um, and, and trying to figure out that kind of live scenario. Yeah, it's very similar to exactly what you're going through right now, which is, you know, when you when you weren't getting lessons and trying to – you knew what you were going to do. So you knew what, you, what was possible. When you start changing things, you know you're not going to hit every shot perfect, but now you don't know what's going to happen when you don't hit a good one. Yeah, and you don't have the feedback. Yeah. And, and you're trying to learn the feedback with a new swing. So even as untechnically sound as my old swing was, I was still a scratch golfer. Yeah, it was predictable one, too. Yeah, it was predictable. And when I hooked it 80 yards left, I know why I did it. Mm-hmm. Now, I have no – I mean, like my miss is when they're going two directions, which is the worst thing ever. Yeah. But, you know, nothing's worse than hitting a, you know, 335-yard drive in the middle of a fairway, having a nine-iron into a par five and – hoping you get up and down for par. And that happens when you're working on iron swings and different swings, and yeah. you're just you're so frustrated with it. No doubt. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is when you're a golfer that's a high birdie golfer, yeah. but also high other, <laughs> um, that's even harder because you you see the potential in the birdies. Mm-hmm. I don't know that you always see the negative potential in the doubles. <laughs> and you go, well, if I just hadn't had those three doubles, I would have shot 69 today. Well, yeah, that goes for every pro on tour and goes for every golfer in the world. <laughs> it's it's a repetition thing. So it's trying to figure out how to minimize that mm-hmm. and also trying to figure out how to make sure while minimizing it, you're not losing necessarily that ability to make mergers. Sure, no doubt. Final question before we delve into the things you do to recharge your batteries. I think it's important in my show. It's one of the things that's it's in it every show is something that you had to persevere through that made you that was such a gut check you didn't know you had that in you what was something that you've had to have when you had to both test your perseverance and your resiliency to come back from something that you had no idea you had enough in you to pull it out man I, they're loaded question because there's been a lot um and i think everybody's had a lot too i, mm-hmm. I think you one of the natural things you always see and people will always talk about, man, do you know what I'm going through? Do you know what I'm going through? Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean, I've been through a lot from, you know, <laughs> failed marriages, failed 
you know, businesses, floods where you lose all your business, mm-hmm. coronavirus, uh, separation of business partners, falling out, losing friends over business relationships when things move and change. I've been through it all. And so, I mean, I think when you look at all of that in totality, I think I've kind of learned – I don't think I look at one thing like, man, I per- that was the thing. Mm-hmm. I do think there's – I do look at a lot of things and go, man, if I told you tomorrow that all your business is gone and you got to start over, a lot of people would – they couldn't function. Yeah. And to me, I think my ability is that everything's just another day. It's part of the job. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a this is what you signed up for. It'd be – uh, to me, as a business owner and entrepreneur and someone that depends on your own ability to earn, mm-hmm. it'd be like entering the army, going to war and being like, man, I don't want to get shot at. We're going to get shot at. We're going to get a chance of our business. Every day, bankruptcy stares us in the face. Yeah. Every day, enormous success stares us in the face. And it's not always about what you do, which is what we're seeing now even more than That's ever. Right. It, it It is. So if you – I've seen a lot of the the – I'll call it almost the poor me. Man, I'm dealing with this adversity. I'm dealing yeah. with that adversity. Asking me one adversity that I've overcome, I don't know. They all kind of add up, and they all kind of blend together at this point. Sure. Um, but from a like life standpoint of going here, it, it's interesting to be in such a bad place in terms of business right now and uncertainty and everything, mm-hmm. but also to personally be in such an amazing place. And I think because of that, all the other things adding to it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and we talk about great place. I mean, like today's my anniversary. I've been married five years. I've got three wonderful little daughters and you know, it's, we currently have no power at our house due to storms. <laughs> We've got no business. I mean, the, the running joke is that, you know, for someone that's unemployed with, you know, three little girls and everything, things are pretty good. And yeah. I think it's hard to sit there when you're in the dark with a flashlight with a seven month old, a, three-year-old and five-year-old all screaming <laughs> all fighting through it trying to work through government loans and sba and yeah. all this stuff and go you know what it could be so much worse we're blessed to kind of still be here and nobody feels blessed right now there's yeah. no one in the world that is not dealing with adversity now yeah no doubt um and so i would you know i'd like to see that carry over a little more of the golf game too but it's it's amazing mm-hmm. and and i think the other thing that's been the well, I mean, this will kind of lead right into what you were talking about, like what I do to <laughs> recharge recharge, and do it. One of the best things that ever happened, and, and I give this, <laughs> it's my marriage advice, and I'll do this on my five-year anniversary, is to set the bar as low as you possibly can when you first meet the person you're going to marry. <laughs> and I say that jokingly, but also let them know what's going to happen. And so I always had a rule with everyone I always dated along the way, like first date, let me explain to you. I play golf. Golf is very important to me. If at one point, any time in your life, you ever make me feel bad about playing golf, that the we all have friends that have wives, they get home and or they're on the phone and they're just sitting there like, well, when are you going to be home? When are you going to be here? My only thing was I can understand you're dealing with so much, especially with little kids and mm-hmm. how much our wives save our lives. But all I want you to say is, do you have fun today? How'd you play? And then you don't ever have to ask me about it. Just don't ever make me feel bad about it. Yeah. And – that is the most amazing thing about my wife. And when you talk about the recharges, she understands how important that is. I can't sit still. You're absolutely right. I can't sit at home. If I'm at home for more than two hours doing nothing, she'll see this look on my face. And she's like, just go. And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, go, get your clubs, go to the golf course right now. 
Like, you just need to get out of here because you're just bothering me. Like, I can see you're not happy, so just go play golf. And, but we have this great understanding about how we do things. I've been, I'm able to recharge in that my life is very intense with a lot of work and family and all that. And I can go on a trip when I want without having to go beg, plead, and ask and, and yeah. do that. And, and I think that means a lot to find that person that understands if it's golf, it's golf. If it's whatever, sailing, yeah. whatever you like doing, fishing. But understanding what your release is, because it's not enough for you to know it. You've got to be able to do it in your life. That's exactly right. That is so true. Well, speaking of that, as we shift to the things that you do to recharge your batteries, knowing how much you love to play golf and you love to travel and play golf, and it's the it's the perfect it's perfect for what my show is about. Your recharge is the group of guys exiting Nashville. Of course, this year are coming to Nashville, but I mean, you exit, you go someplace, you get away, and it is just golf and laughing and having a good time. When you when you think of the great places that you've been and or you want to go, what is the the best golf destinations that you've been to and the ones you want to go to? Man, it's everyone always asks, "What's your favorite golf course? What's your favorite golf course?" I mean, and it's such a hard thing for me to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the favorite places, I mean, Scotland last year was about as special as I think. I mean, everyone always says you got to go to Scotland. You'll never really be able to recreate that. And I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty amazing. Um, we loved Kiowa. That was great. I mean, some of the places we've been that I just thought were uh, my favorite destination, and it's kind of that cliche one, but we did Pebble Beach. So the annual golf tournament I do for Montgomery Bell Academy every year, there's mm-hmm. always the putting contest winner. And one of the guys in my group won, and so we got a trip out to Pebble. And oh. we went out there and played, you know, Spyglass. We played uh, Pebble. We played uh, – poppy we play you know and just we're out there and we played pasta tempo on the way in which is like that historical gym yeah and if you can do go play those four golf courses which are all public and you can get to Mm -hmm. that was there's nothing like it i mean standing on the 18t at pebble there you've never wanted to hit a par five and two for someone that just thrives on hitting a par five and two i've never i was shaking on the tee shot going I have to hit it past that tree. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit it past that tree. I got to get home in two. I just want to be able to tell people. Yep. Uh, we went and played. Um, I love going to Kohler. Kohler's got so many amazingly hard and long golf courses. Yeah, no kidding. And Aaron Hills. So you can do the Aaron Hills, Black Wolf, and Whistling. And we went and did that with a group of guys. Um, we've been we've done our big trip, and we've done another trip up there. And, you know, I love distance. I like we're playing 7,700 yards and we're just out there grinding. And, you know, you get to that 18th hole at Aaron Hills and it's, you know, when they played it in the open, they were hitting like three wood, three wood or three wood iron. That's because it was a runway going down a hill. It's 675 yards and it's not usually a runway. It's usually bounces and rolls a little bit. Yeah. And like my favorite thing in the world was getting to that hole and being like, I just want to try to get there. I just, you know, this will be amazing. Let's see what we can do. Oh yeah. And so it's, it's all like those, those kind of destinations are amazing. Um, we like a lot of stuff too, that you, you mix in kind of the amenities with it. And so you're, you're finding places to go. Like I don't like, I like places where the courses are a little bit more concentrated and you're not driving everywhere. Yeah. Um, and then there's always kind of that hidden gem. Uh, one that, that was, one of my top five favorite golf courses I play is Arcadia Bluffs. Scenic uh, up in Michigan. view. Up in Michigan, yeah. yeah, there's nothing. And they just opened a new course that I want to play. But Oh, really? Yeah, they just opened one that's, you know, all the boxy tee boxes, a little bit more old school. And huh. uh, But Arcadia, 
nothing like. It. I mean, it just it's its own unique golf course, no doubt. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been we've played every golf course in the top twenty in public golf courses. You've been to Bandon. We did Bandon. We did we, our group did Bandon three years ago. What do you think? Compare that to Whistling Straits and the other places in the Pebble Beach area and all those. Things. The thing with sure. Bandon is Bandon's that thing that's so built up. It, I almost felt like there's no way it could ever <laughs> succeed. It's amazing. It's equal to the best of everything you ever have. Yeah. But you're always told it's so good that it can only be so good. It's still a golf course. Yeah. Um, they were amazing. The golf courses are amazing. It's such a different kind of golf. I mean, you're sitting there looking at it on the scorecard, like 6,600, 6,700 yards. This is short. This is going to be weird. And then I don't think I've ever hit that many three irons into par fours in my life. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so you're sitting there, I mean, you're sitting there at uh, Pacific Dunes with those back-to-back par threes. And oh. I mean, it's 145 yards, and I'm punching a three iron to try to get it to green. And I mean, we don't have those shots. And, and growing up, I think a lot of what we like from courses is the antithesis of Nashville, yeah. which is Nashville's always been much more target. You got the elevated greens in a lot of places and the good golf courses. Mm. But we don't play with wind. When it's 15 miles an hour, we call it windy. Yeah. When it's 15 miles an hour, it's abandoned. They, it's like it's calm day. It's calm day. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> nice. So this true. is easy. That's right. Um, so we like changing it. I always have loved desert golf. I like the dry heat. Um, you know, the math gets a little bit different trying to figure out clubs. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing like playing out in the desert. It's. What's your favorite desert course? I don't know that I have one that, that I would say this is my absolute yeah. favorite, that this is where I, I remember this golf course being mm-hmm. all that. Um, I And to be clear, I probably hadn't played a lot of the big signature desert golf courses. We've done, you know. Uh, to play True North? I played True North, and I played True North a couple times. What do you think of we that? Loved it. I, I heard it's really, I've not been. We played it's twice. Really. It's um I've got one of the best stories ever about one of our buddies that you know well <laughs> playing head-to-head against Justin Myers there that I don't know that I can tell this story, but it was one of the best meltdowns I've ever seen. And we'll just say he ended up breaking his putter on 14, conceding and paying me, putting with his three wood on the last four holes, and he shot three under. So <laughs> he shouldn't have given the money back. He should have just broke his putter and kept playing. But it yep. was amazing. I mean, that course is really fun. Um, and they got a couple good courses up there. Training, yeah, so. no doubt. Justin Myers. Yep. One of the most talented players I've ever coached. Yep. My well, goodness. was so, One of the greatest ball strikers. I don't. I haven't seen him in forever, but there was a day in time, man, he could hit it. He could yep. hit it like off a cart path and not nick his golf club. He was so pure. I don't think he's played in five years, but he could pick out a club and probably still beat us all if he had to. <laughs> right. But, uh, but you know, you go back to – I mean, it was – that was part of the fun too was we've had this big group. And, again, a lot of us – we all grew up playing high school golf together. Mm-hmm. And it was we were at different schools, some of us, but we all kind of stayed in touch. And then there's guys that – some of them played in college with other guys, or some of them, they just were roommates with guys. And sure. we are not like – our group is all over the board, it's, it's, handicaps. I mean, it's got, flowing. It, it, oh, people yeah. People come in and people come out. But we've kind of got our core mm-hmm. 10 to 12 people that do it every year. And, you know, when I say we live for this and, like, to talk about, like, the group of guys and how big it is, I mean, we have a massive trophy. This trophy is the whole signature – of your, like when you win it, you get to keep it for a year, and every picture you send to guys from your Thanksgiving table, it's a big. It's called the Soren Eagle Cup. That thing, that trophy is in the middle of the table. 
I did an interview on Channel 4 News about, I don't know, four or five weeks ago talking about the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. and everything's, you know, via Skype or via, we did um, FaceTime for the interviews. Sure. I set up in my room and I put the trophy right behind me real big. And then I sent the interview out to everyone. I was like, hey, look what's in the trophy. I mean, it is all about that trophy. And so, you know, it is that pride about, you know, just doing it. And it's amazing. I mean, and, and how close that keeps you. But I think that does, when you talk about the recharging of it, Mm. I think a lot of the recharge is the friends. I mean, it's the ability to distance yourself and be able to just, you know, send three or four text messages to somebody and go, man, my mind wasn't on whatever I focus on now. And it gets hard because our group's been having a procreation race instead of a golf race in the last five years. And everyone married late in life Mm -hmm. in terms of, and started having kids late more in the, 34 to 40 range. Uh So we all, I mean, the average person's had two and a half kids in the last five years. So we are, it's a race. Some are cheating and having twins, but, (laughs) uh, but we're, uh, yeah, we're, we're doing that. I'm currently tied, but I don't plan on, I may bow out now. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for me to step down. (laughs) Gotta love it. Talk to me about your, uh, your favorite music. So, Growing up, classic rock always. I have a massive vinyl collection. Every Beatles oh, album, wow. all the every Doors, every um, Rolling Stones. I mean, I got it all on vinyl and was always big classic rock. Then through college, started getting into the jam bands. I mean, Tennessee was kind of in that peak of, you know, the widespread panics oh, and, yeah. and and that stuff there. And then now, I mean, it's all over the board. I mean, it's still, I'm still, but we are, if I had to say the biggest thing, we listen to 80s music all the time. 80s really? is kind of our go-to. 80s as in like Guns N' Roses or 80s as in like all of of it. Oh, all of it. All of it. Yeah. The stuff that like you don't want someone to hear you singing when your windows are down (laughs) at a stoplight to, yeah, like your your classic 80s stuff. Uh Aha, take on me. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Like the the funny thing too, so as all our buddies have had weddings over the years, it's hilarious. Whenever all the group gets together, someone always goes up to the DJ and says, play Freedom by George Michael. And like it's like the bat signal going out. Like Once it hears so it, like everyone just goes to the dance floor, and it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, how did this song become that? But, yeah. you know, that's where I'm at generally with music. I mean, we used to go to a lot of concerts. I'm not a big concert person anymore. It's kind of a different Yeah. Gets different as you get, get older. older. May get, go back into it. Um, but a lot, uh, you know, uh, Journey's a big one that we always try to go see. Yeah. And then a lot of Nashville, most of the concerts I've been seeing have been your big iconic ones where you're like, if I don't go now, I may not see them. Mm. It's not like the Rolling Stones where you say, I've been saying that for 20 years and I've seen them four times. And like, <laughs> if we don't go now, we're not going to see them. But I mean, we've seen everyone from Elton John to Paul McCartney when he came with. Oh, wow. That, I mean, just, you're never going to get a chance to see that. Yeah. Like, so. What was the greatest country you've ever seen? I was always a big Pink Floyd fan, and right when I graduated high school, we did. I drove 10,000 miles in a month, the first month I had my car. We drove to Hershey, Pennsylvania, and Roger Waters was uh, playing. So we drove from Nashville to Hershey, Pennsylvania, saw Roger Waters, drove back to Nashville, dropped off two guys, picked up two more, drove back up to Darien Lake, New York, which this makes no sense now that I'm talking about it, and saw Roger (laughs) Waters again. Those two concerts, Roger Waters, you know, the old field concert, like back when we used to have Starwood in Nashville. Yeah. Just Roger Waters was amazing. I mean, that that to me, getting to see Pink Floyd and, and that in it, I would love to have seen Pink Floyd before. But that's the one I always remember as yeah. part of the journey to get there, but also seeing it. Yeah. I saw uh, Roger Waters at Starwood. I was there. That was a great show. Yeah. I'm not sure. I almost feel like I'd want to see David Gilmore. 
Man, I love that guy. Can play the heck out of a guitar. I would love to, you know, I oh. saw Page and Plant when I was in high school. They played here at the Get mm. or whatever it was currently called at that yeah. time. And seeing Jimmy Page play the guitar. It's a religious the, experience. It is. I mean, that's the stuff you like. I mean, it's the stuff seeing people doing things. I mean, Paul McCartney to me was, I mean, the guy's, what, he 80 plus. Yeah. He played for three hours. I mean, that guy was amazing. So a lot of that's really good. And then, you know, some of the best concert stories are the ones where I didn't, we, did, we didn't even get to hear the concert. So, you know, it's, <laughs> I think I'm the only person that's spent over $1,000 on two concerts of Journey tickets and only heard one song. So it's yeah. it's amazing how that happens. No kidding. Yeah, journey. Yeah, Jonathan Kane. I thought Jonathan Kane for for a long time. He's down. He lives out in Vegas. But man, I love that dude. Man, he, I mean, Journey is a, an under recognized band. Absolutely. Yeah. No We're, question about it. We yeah. That that is that's one of our favorites. Yeah. When you when you think about your like your sports idols when you were growing up, your favorite teams and your favorite players. Who were the teams and the players that moved you? Any sport? For sport for me, I'm all, like, you always hear people that don't like the Yankees. We don't like, I don't, I'm not going to root for the Bulls. People hate people that win all the time. Yeah. It's like that antithesis. Everyone likes them. And then once they win a couple of years, then it's like, I'm so over them. I'm the complete opposite. I really? love domination. I love people that just end their sport. Um, I mean, you're, for my age, Michael Jordan was always that one in basketball. Yeah. Um, when you got to baseball, Ozzie Smith was always my favorite. I was a big Cardinals fan, so mm. always big there. And then with golf, you know, it, it's interesting how golf happened because I before Tiger, I feel like you had your one or two golfers you rooted for. Mm. Now everything's so more interactive, and you get to know the players so much better. Mm-hmm. It's hard to say I have one golfer. I mean, obviously with our connection, we our group of people that played. We root for Brant over everything. I mean, sure. If he's there or in the winning, we're going to watch it. I mean, every tournament he's won, I can tell you where I was when I watched it. And part of that's just being a fan. Part of it is just having played with him and knowing him and knowing how good a guy he is. Yeah. I mean, you root for the the good people. You that's root right. for the good guys in golf, which is unique because in sports, it, and it's interesting now with the Michael Jordan special on, yeah, no you kidding. didn't really know Michael off the court. There, you didn't have this all-access so the guys we like to I mean, we sure didn't know much about Tiger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you think of everything Tiger, we didn't know anything about him. And there's a lot of people that didn't like Tiger. I thought it, what he did was amazing. I mean, when you look back at his winning and mm-hmm. how he played off the golf course, different story. But on the golf course, there's nothing more exciting to see. I mean, it wasn't a question of do you think he can make it. It was do you think there's any chance he's going to miss. That's right. And I love guys like that. I love being able to watch the ones that everyone's more in awe. When they're around it, like I heard in that MJ special, they were talking about how in 86, Larry Bird said he's the best player I've ever seen. That's amazing. The guy's been in the league three years. You got a guy that's won three MVPs, last three MVPs, and he's sitting there going, this is the best guy I've ever seen. Yeah. That's the awestruck. So those are kind of the sports guys I always gravitated towards the ones that were just the dominating ones outside of like the ones you have a personal connection with. Give everybody a Snedeker story. I mean, you went, to, you went to school with him. What are some of the traits that you remember as he was growing up in high school that you, and that you now see he's one of the – certainly you could argue that he's one of the three best players to have never won a major. He's had a great career, nine PGA Tour victories, and made a ton of money doing it. I've told a bunch of stories about Brandon on my podcast, but talk to some, somebody that grew up with him, went to school with him, right. and what makes him special? 
Okay, I'll do two. One will be just a great story about him. The other one will be a really big compliment to me while talking about him. <laughs> so the first one is that Brant had this innate ability to always somehow make par, get up and down. Like if he was in the trees, you always assumed he was going to get up and down. He never got really tilted too far one way or another. And he wasn't in the trees that often. Yeah. But when he was, it was his ability to do that. And he was always this amazing putter. So you always thought there was a chance he was somehow going to make it. Mm-hmm. And so for him, you always had that ability of like, you always thought he would do it. I mean, I remember a story. We, were, we, we did our matches at McCabe. And I remember there was a walk on the North Nine from four to five where you drop your bags next to the part five and you had to walk back about 150 yards. And I'll never forget seeing him and, I, and the whole before I'd seen him all over the place and, you know, being like, okay, what happened? And he's like, man, I'm four over. And like, so we're four holes into a nine hole match. He's four over. And we get done and I walk, I'm like, what'd you, how'd you do, man? And he's like, I shot 35. I'm like, how'd you, you were four over. What, what happened? Oh, I birdied the last five. And it was that mentality of he never thought, he never got down on himself. That's, a, that's and, so true. And it's just that amazing thing. I mean, I roomed with him junior year, the first year he ever won state. And that first night, that was when he went in with Gallant, who you also, yeah. I think, have had here before. And mm-hmm. they went into a big four-hole playoff and all that. And he shot 74, 75 the first day, something like that. And it didn't phase him. He went out and shot like 68 and ended up getting in the playoff with Gallant and ended up winning. Yeah, And it was just this amazing thing. The other thing is, and I've always think this is amazing with professional golfers. I don't have this ability. They remember every distant shot. They have this computer <laughs> and this processing thing. And so my claim to fame, and my, my one thing I always tell people with golf, because people always joke whenever you play with a guy as successful as Brent, so who was better, who was better? We all know who was better, let's yeah. be honest. It's not really a, a competition. But when we were in high school, we'd always do these comp- um In the spring at our school, uh, you had to play a sport. So the golf team, we would all play each other. We'd get seated. Then we'd do a single elimination tournament after school, and that was our sport. And so our senior year, I'm playing Brandon in the finals, and we're playing over at McCabe again, North Mm -hmm. Nine, first on the fourth hole. And, you know, Brant's over in the trees, punches out. He's I hit a shot from 205 yards and hole out for double eagle. It was – I made double eagle playing against – Brant Snedeker, the last time I ever played against him. <laughs> and it's just like this kind of thing. And I, I ended up – hit a ball out of bounds on the next part five. I still ended up winning by like two. And I was like, man, th- like I'm never going to forget that story. You're never going to forget a double eagle. Yeah. But you're also never going to – so we're at an event where at our kids' school. They go to the same school mm-hmm. three years ago, and someone comes up and says, you know, we're sitting there talking and makes a joke. So who was better, blah, blah, blah. And Brant's so gracious. I mean, the guy is the most gracious person I've ever met. And, you know, he's being polite. He goes – well, you know, he did, you know, he did hole out from 205 yards with a five iron and over on number four at McCabe to make double eagle. Against, and I'm going, he's played in, he's won all these tournaments. He's played in all this golf. He remembers a golf shot I hit 20 years ago, mm-hmm. the distance in the club. Like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever, I've told people that's right. I'm like, I, I can't tell you what I hit yesterday on a hole. And he remembers – sh- and, again, it's a memorable shot. Sure. Like, but, but still, he's seen how many hole-in-ones. He's seen how many things. I mean, who he plays with. So it's that ability, that thing to remember. Yeah. And, and I think that obviously helps him process, find a good place mm-hmm. and so forth. But it was – yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting because he has become the Nashville guy, and, and he is that. And I think more for me with him growing up with him is – Everybody we are always friends with, you always remember a time that they were a jerk. Or you remember, yeah. like, hey, man, I didn't – that one time he just didn't think about it. 
No one has one of those stories of Brant ever. Like, there's never like, remember that time Brant was a jerk? No, he's not a jerk. Yeah. Like, he just, he's just a truly great guy that you root for, which is why I think he's so popular on tour, yeah. why he's so popular everywhere. And you, you, you won't ever hear that. Um, and he's very uh, cognizant of that. Yeah, he's, he's, like the, he's like the mayor. He knows how to be everywhere he is. He knew it at a young age, yeah. too. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've heard stories of some of his college buddies and, and guys we were at that when he was very young on tour, 25, 26. I think he was down in FedEx uh, or playing down in Memphis or somewhere. Mm. And, you know, we're 25, 26. We're still thinking we're in college. We're all drinking. And some of the guys went up there, had been drinking, and, you know, he's signing autographs, and they give him a, a beer can. Like, hey, sign my beer can, Brent, like joking with them. And, you know, he's like, no, no, no. I walked away. And then he, he had a conversation with him after from what I heard and just said, look, my image is like I, I've, I can't be that like that's not who I want to be. Yeah. And the the wherewithal to have that at 25 and 26. Yep. I mean, I would have asked to, you know, pass the beer funnel and he's sitting there <laughs> telling them to watch what he's doing. And I just think that it just gives him a lot of credibility yeah. and, and that. And that's why we're all rooting for him. No doubt about it. When you uh, when you have the chance to think about who if you had a, um, a round of golf, one last round of golf. You and three others, and what golf course did you play? Um, I think you got to go Augusta because it's about the only way I'm going to get on there. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, it's interesting that you'd pick people that you play with, but I don't think I'd go pick people I don't know. Yeah. I think I think I'd love to. I'd love to take Brand on in Augusta. Mm-hmm. See if I could win four or five holes. <laughs> I'd probably take Wallace with me because, you know, got to have him there. And yeah. that's definitely the only chance he's ever getting on Augusta. <laughs> um, and then on, on the fourth person there, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, that's I've got so many guys. For, I think what I'd probably do for that fourth person is I'd do what I always do. We'd make a tournament out of it. We'd go play 36 holes somewhere else and make everybody earn it. <laughs> and I'd invite every friend I got and say, we're all going to play. Oh, and here's so how we're true. doing it. We got a point system, and let's see who gets it. And that fourth spot would be up for uh, dibs there. I love it. Last question. If you had your druthers uh, and you get to pick which one you like, yeah, you're going to have a, a nice dinner with some friends. Are you going to be a wine guy, a bourbon guy, or a beer guy? Not beer. But I'm always the other two yeah. together. There's no reason to pick favorites. Yeah. What's your favorite I, kind of wine? Amarone, without oh, a doubt. So wow. if I can go any wine, Amarone's like my go-to. Like if I'm going to have a great bottle of wine, I like Amarone. I mean, I like your big California cabs mm-hmm. and, and, you know, so forth there. Not a big French wine person, but I love Italian wines. So do and I. And nothing's like an Amarone. It's just the way they over-ripen the grape and just there's nothing. It's like drinking raisin juice. Yep. It's very powerful. And it goes with so many big foods because yes, I'm going to be a big – you know, if we're going big pork chops or steaks, that's always a good one. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to like the bourbon and scotches, that's something that I keep readily available of all kinds at my house. And you know, what's your favorite them. kind of bourbon? Don't have a favorite. No. Have a favorite based on a, on on the night. You know, depending. <laughs> it depends what kind of mood I'm in. I you like, have a rota- You have a starting rotation. We do. I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of there's so many out there right now too. No so kidding. we go kind of all over the board there. I mean, you know, I like your. Your Thomas Handys and Bookers and your more 120 proof type, yeah, uh, small barrels. I and mean, then Scotch 
and they kind of go both ways. You know, yeah. I'm a McAllen guy, and that was uh-huh. that was the best part about going to Scotland was I got to yeah. go to McAllen, yeah, and see it. What and was that like? Was that pretty cool? That's the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Like really, there's nothing like McAllen. You've never seen anything like it. And if that's what you drink, like we got to go up there and drink stuff that I would never get to. And you know, I bought oh, a special wow. bottle there and brought it back. And how cool! You know, I, I think I managed to get six bottles back from Scotland without them breaking. So that was pretty impressive. That's a victory, right? Yeah, there. yeah, it was a good win. Um, but yeah, it definitely McAllen would be where I'd go with the the Scott side. Last question: They're going to make a movie on the Beav. Who's going to play Nathaniel Beaver in your movie as they recreate who you are? Man, that's a tough one right there. <laughs> God, you know. Um, I know who I'd pick for you. Who would you go? Maybe they'll help me go. Vin Diesel. Okay, so. I, I've, or The Rock. <laughs> so it's funny that you say the Vin Diesel. That was the one when when I'm at. The other thing people should know is that my weight changes 50 pounds in a year. Whether I'm eating and drinking or running and working out, I'm That's an extremist right. in everything I do. Yeah. But I'm extremely working out and running. I do get the Vin Diesel thing. I've had it happen a time or two. So kind uh, of have that same look. Um the other one is when I've been running a bunch and it goes away as Steve-O, but I don't want Steve-O playing <laughs> I don't me. Want Steve-O. No, I don't want Steve-O. Uh, yeah, the, the Vin Diesel one would, would be uh, definitely appropriate. Um, so true. But, but yeah, that no, one would awesome. be good. Well, Nathaniel, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time out of your schedule to come on The Verge and share your story. Best of luck to you. And let's see if we can't navigate past this COVID-19 all at the exact same time playing the best golf of your life. I like it. I appreciate like it. it, Thanks, Cure is focused on providing natural alternatives to aid with current or previous medical conditions. Cure does this by providing therapeutic properties of natural cannabinoid formulations for multiple uses, whether internally or externally. Ask your physical therapist or your primary care physician if cannabinoids are right for you, or check out their website, www.curemich.com. Cure. Cannabis used for research and education. On the Verge is produced by Chase Akers. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a five-star rating and write a review. Click subscribe to make sure that you don't miss a single episode.